The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast 2017. Warning, the following contains plot spoilers and naughty language. That means explicit content. And the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show. Hey everybody, welcome to Pop Off. This is Arthur. And my name is Justin. And Justin is very graciously allowing me to drive today, uh, which will be a new experience for both of us, I'm sure. I'm got my hand up on that kind of like holy shit like, like handhold that's above the, like the one you passive aggressively use like when you're somebody makes the left hand turn too much you just kind of go oh oh yeah or like the uh, with the student drivers where they've got that extra brake built into I the know. shotgun seat. <laughs> uh, well, no, what we are what we are doing me. today is uh, we are wrapping up the gosh it's going on well this is the seventh episode that we will be talking about Angel combine that with three episodes of Buffy so this is. Uh, I think we have gotten 10 episodes out of what we originally thought was going to be two episodes worth of material. Yeah, but that was so like 2012. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> it was a different world then. Um, the uh, So what we're going to be doing is just talking about, do you want to talk about just Angel or Buffy as well? Like Let's just, just the entire- talk. I, so my, my desire would be, of course, to talk about... Um, uh, let's do Buffy and Angel and and a quick nod to Fire, or rather a quick nod to Dollhouse and the Avengers, tiny bit of Shield, um, mm-hmm. uh, and everything else sort of jossy except for uh, Firefly because because who cares about Firefly really? No, tell them the real reason. <laughs> no, we're gonna we were having so much fun doing this. We're gonna go ahead. We're gonna do another episode about Firefly and then potentially one about Serenity, which will allow us to phase into the totally super podcast that we're doing. Because Woo-hoo! what better way to start off a podcast about superheroes than to talk about a movie that really doesn't fit in the superhero genre at all, but is or, a great movie. So we're gonna talk or about it. doesn't it? Because that'd be a really interesting question to ask. Um, because okay, you, maybe, you do realize maybe that if we if, if we include if we include Serenity as in the superhero genre, that like no, triples no. the workload of films that we're going to have to review. No, so. no, 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 no. Okay, okay, I I hear you. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you. You mean we can't count films that have then been made into comic books? It has to be comic book first. Well, I mean, no, it's not even comic book. It needs to be superhero, which I would argue is a slightly different. We're pretty much doing the first episode of Totally Super right now, so we should move on. Um, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry, but uh, so yeah. So what I wanted to do with this is since we're doing an overall wrap-up of Buffy and Angel and as has probably been made clear uh, in our previous conversations these are TV shows that have meant a great deal to the both of us Um, so my three questions for you Justin uh, are first how has uh, the Buffyverse influenced your own uh, take on art and writing and things like that uh, okay. The second is how do you think it has influenced the world uh, or the industry as it is? And third, how has it influenced you personally, like in your own life? Um, so I'm figuring I, we could, yeah, we I could have talk. definitive answers to all of those. I, I had the a third one. I had a feeling that you would <laughs> answers that have nothing to do with the names of progeny. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> um. So I figured let's start with the first one then. Uh, what do you feel are the the highlights of the... Like there's a very specific style to the Buffyverse. One that uh, Joss started, but you know all the other writers have sort of added to. Um, what do you feel that that style is? And uh, is there any of that that you've sort of incorporated yourself? Um, that's it. First of all, uh, that is... It's interesting if you were to watch the Three Ninjas movies. Uh, not... No, sorry. Don't watch the Three Ninjas movies because those are totally different movies. The Ninjas versus Trilogy because there is a movie called Three Ninjas. <laughs> There's Three Ninjas. <laughs> um, if you watch the Ninjas versus Trilogy, every single one of them end with the words, uh, special thanks to Joss Whedon who doesn't know we exist. Um, that's what the credits always end with. And it's very... Oh, I true. love it. 
um, that uh, that I, as a writer, you know, the Ninjas versus Zombies was not the first screenplay I ever wrote. Um, I wrote a couple of plays in college. I wrote two screenplays that I turned into student films. Um, but I never really got sort of the hang of what I liked in a scene. Um, the two the two people who influenced my writing personally um, more than anyone was uh, Kevin Smith and Joss Whedon. Kevin Smith was the first yeah. uh, screenwriter I ever watched um, that had, and I guess, I guess Quentin Tarantino, actually I saw it first in Pulp Fiction, but it's so stylized in that uh, Kevin Smith's was the first where I just saw people sitting around talking about the stuff that I talk about. And that counted as a movie. Yeah. Just like people sitting around talking about the stuff I talked about. Um, Joss Whedon, uh, specifically introduced uh, in terms of 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 films, which is what I write, um, introduced uh, subversion as a huge part of of the plotting, the scene, um, the dialogue. He a lot of his is about subversion. I most of the time ironic subversion of yeah. what you think is going to happen. Um, that requires sort of a subconscious knowledge of the tropes that he's subverting. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will speak lesser about uh, how I, because I don't write um, ser- serialized TV, um, but the one thing he added to serialized TV is the concept of a big bad. Um, and yeah. that's that's an enormous addition to TV. If you watch almost any genre show, they go this is the this is the big bad um and i think that's that's really important because he would he could have an underlying plot especially on buffy going all seven seasons and then have uh have one major storyline that wrapped up by the end of the season he was on and then a new one started the next season carrying on the the sort of subplots with it so um so that's what he added to that in terms of subversion what i mean is uh is specifically when you think a conversation's going one way um the best example is in the in the trailer for serenity when mal gets mad and goes up to jane and goes you want to run this ship and jane goes yes and mal goes well you can't you can't <laughs> um because nowhere in the world when mal was clearly only a, only a scripted hero captain that's all he mm-hmm. is when he said do you want to run this ship his scripted hero captain brain is absolutely expecting the guy to go no but or 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 let's fight or but him j- the other guy just to go yeah it subverted what mm-hmm. you the audience is expecting it subverts what the character is expecting to happen in that situation and humor is derived from it as well as character development yeah so well that actually is, in in the same trailer, there's when Mal is speaking to the agent, and the agent says, "Look, I come and you know, I want to have a diplomatic solution. I come in peace to you. I'm unarmed." And Mal immediately says, "Good," and draws his gun and shoots him. And there's uh, a ton. There's a ton of that when yeah. when when Xander punches the wall in uh, when Joyce dies, um, mm-hmm. and his hand gets stuck in the wall. Last thing you're expecting to happen in the middle of this. You know, very, mm-hmm. very serious episode. Every, yeah. all, Which all the can best... completely happen if somebody punches drywall. Yeah. Um, and I all mean, the... So, interestingly, I think that to, to piggyback off of that, the uh, um, a lot of his subversions of the tropes is what they're doing is they're pointing out why the trope wouldn't necessarily actually work in real life, but then showing us what would happen if you did that in real life. Um you know, like instead of just punching the wall for dramatic effect, it's like no, you punch a wall hard, your fist's gonna go through it. If you tell somebody, you know, if you tell somebody what you want to run this ship, they might answer you honestly. Um, yeah. If you tell somebody well, that th- you're unarmed, they might shoot you. And I think there's a a willingness um, to be goofy, to be silly, to be campy, um, and and something that I had not seen before is the the willingness to be those things. And yet to not have that in any way detract from the seriousness of the show. And in fact, that makes you disarmed where you think you're watching something silly, goofy and campy, which mm-hmm. sort of opens up your heart to the to what's going on. You makes you feel very, very safe, which makes it easy to pull the rug out from under you. So so yeah. the 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 silly moment followed by the horrific death is is something that he does 
I mean, better than anyone. I think. Very well. Well, I think it's the, I can't remember if I've touched on this in one of the previous podcasts. It's likely. Um, but the, uh, the play Cyrano de Bergerac uh, that was written by Edmund Rostand, um, a lot of people know it as, oh, it's the play about the guy with the big nose and, you know, he's in love with the woman that he's convinced won't love him. So he sort of has a surrogate handsome guy deliver his messages for her. Um, he wrote it at a time when, like, big flowery romances were all the thing in French theater. And he wrote it as a satire. Um, it's a very self-aware play. But he wrote a satire of French romance by writing what is arguably the most memorable French romance uh, left today. Uh, it's that... To me, satire doesn't condemn or mock. I mean, yes, satire pokes fun at the its source material. Um, it points out inconsistencies and things like that, but it doesn't uh, deride it or condemn it. Instead, it should celebrate the source material, uh, or at least that's my favorite kind of satire. Um, well, I, Joss I think Whedon, the mo- he celebrates the- a lot of that. Yeah, well, I think the modern equivalent of Sarah de Bergerac are at least semi-modern in that it's 20 years old would be Scream. I think that is yes, that's that's a, sort of yes, the same that's thing. perfect. Scream is absolutely a, a send-up mm-hmm. of, of horror movies. And absolutely terrifying is in the right places. It's also a really good horror movie. Yeah. Um, and I think Scream is important uh, to Buffy. I think Scream was the missing element uh, to the the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, um, which you know we all forget that the, it was a movie starring Christy Swanson with Luke Perry, um, and it it that movie, uh, the people who made that movie didn't understand that the whole movie wasn't going to be camp. It yeah, it can't be pure camp. There's got to be a a real underlying core of sincerity to it. And the camp has to be there for a reason. The reason the camp is there on Buffy, the reason that everything looks silly, they they could make it look realistic. They choose not to. This is a choice. They mm-hmm. had the budget to make it look like however they wanted. They wanted it to look campy because that's disarming. And and I think that, that the introduction of Scream, I have to imagine that Joss Whedon saw Scream. Oh, I yeah. have to mention that he saw it. Mm-hmm. And that is the first movie that I remember ever seeing that had, um, especially genre-specific movies, but I, it's hard for me to remember any movie that I had seen that had uh, teenagers that were as smart as they were in Scream. In Scream, yeah. they were brilliant. They were brilliantly smart in mm-hmm. Scream. Um but they didn't uh they they didn't i guess have that there was comedy to it but there was a part of it that there was not a um a campiness to scream that i think that then you brought in to whedon so i think that what scream gave you is you gave you the smart snappy dialogue um that joss did even better than scream although i got to give scream some credit for for influencing maybe the way buffy went because that was the yeah. expectation of the time and i will say also both scream and buffy flew in the face of the stereotypical uh horror heroine who really isn't all that smart or cunning um just you know either gets killed by the bad guy or gets really lucky at the end well, yeah, I mean, there's 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 always the last girl. There's always the last girl. I would say mm-hmm. that the 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 exception to that, and some people are going to say Laurie Strode from Halloween. I think she's just lucky. The exception to that, the notable exception, of course, is Nancy Thompson from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Good point. Um, yes. Sh- now, it's worth noting that Scream was directed by the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, that he is he was bringing that trope that others tried to emulate but never quite it never quite got there. I, they miss, um, they missed the whole point of the trope. Yeah. Um. So he brought it again, and then I there's a part of me that thinks because you're you're looking you know when Scream came out, um I think that was I think Scream came out like right around the same time as Buffy if I'm remembering correctly mm-hmm. because I know that Sarah Michelle Gellar was in Scream too. Yeah. Um. And at that point I think people knew her maybe as Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's all coming out at uh 
at the same time, of course, Scream is a New Line movie, which is a Warner Brothers film, and at the same time, Buffy's airing on the WB. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is like it's the same world where postmodernism is everything, especially in horror. But yeah. then Buffy, uh, that I think that Joss kind of realized, okay, you take the camp of the original Buffy, then you add that, then you add a lot of heart. Um, and I don't think you get the subversion that we're talking about as much in the first season, but by the time you get into the second season, you really are getting the subversion of expectations. Although the show, the show really does. Uh, I would agree overall the, uh, I will say the show announced its intent to subvert right from the very beginning, literally the first scene of the opening uh, of the, of the pilot is, you know, this hunk, uh, this teenage hunk you know, dragging some scared teenage girl into the gym saying, oh, this is going to be fine. It's fine. And she's like, no, it's scary. I want to go home. Uh, And then he's like, no, it'll be great. He's like, trust me, we're totally alone. And then she's the one who vamps out and eats him. Uh, Like right off the bat, it's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Okay. Well, and I think that it's worth noting that that, you know, the the other big addition, of course, to as we go to the second. Well, first of all, let's hit the first question, because um, I'm not the only writer among the two of us uh, who've, who's written scripts. Oh, as a matter true. Of fact, yeah, we've, you've we've been, sort of you, been we've in a way we've melded the first two questions, which I think you've, is you've been fine. you've been yeah. paid more. You've been paid more than myself to write scripts. So why don't you tell me how's it influenced your writing? Uh, well, I think the it certainly taught me to be not afraid of being self-aware. Uh, I'd say before Buffy, I mean, yes, there were self-aware writers out there, but man, did Joss, at least to my mind, transform the landscape. Um, you know, the, I mean, yes, I, I do receive money for it, but it's not exactly like the, you know, it's, I don't write the great American dramas. I write scripts for the Renaissance fair up in Pennsylvania sometimes. So, but, um, I will say lots of times what I try to do with those scripts is, um, letting the like you put the lines in there that let the audience know that the actors kind of know they're at a renaissance fair but it's still got to become completely serious uh case in point like there's always at the end of the day the uh you know at the at the final joust at the end of the day in pennsylvania the bad guy knights always try to take over the the throne. Like it always happens. We have to do that because that's the, our excuse to get the massive, you know, forty person grand melee with the pyro effects going on. So there's a there's an absolutely one hundred percent. Go to that fair, formula. by the way, you guys. Anybody listening, like the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair? I've been to a few fairs now. It's the best one I've ever been to. So you know, just throw none of that out there. It's Go a ahead. lot of fun. Um, for those of you for those of you expecting uh, authenticity, it is not. Uh, it's much more theatrical, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, but so then at the end of the, so there was just, so anyway, that happens every year. And at, there was one season where at the end of the day, there's this big, we call it finale and song where everyone gets together and they talk to the queen, uh, about the day's events and she, you know, it, it becomes a big variety show. Uh, but at the beginning of that one, one of her courtiers pointed out, they're just like, you know, this does seem to happen a lot, which prompted the queen to go off into like this two-minute rant to the town about, okay, seriously, what the hell is wrong with this town? Every time we come here, there's some kind of rebellion or goblins attack or something. Like, seriously, what what is the deal? I mean, and then someone's like, well, sh- well, surely you, d- do you mean you won't be coming back next year? And she's like, well, of course I'll be coming back next year, but come on, honestly, guys. Huh. Uh, you know, and it's sort of the... So that, I think, uh, now that I look back, I know they hadn't connected the two, but that's definitively Joss Whedon's self-awareness. Um, I don't know if I've been given too many opportunities to subvert trope. Um, although I will say, certainly one of the most powerful influences he's had, uh, which kind of goes in the subvert trope, is uh, his ability to really, and his his willingness and showing no fear in writing strong yet sincere female protagonists. Well, I think, Um, yeah, that's the next thing I wanted to hit is that there mm -hmm. certainly it had existed before on TV, you know, the idea of a, of a, of a a strong female lead. I mean, Wonder Woman had been on TV before. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what he did for Buffy 
was he made her this rounded Peter Parker esque kind of character where her the her her home world is constantly in conflict with her other world. Um, and she is absolutely tough while remaining absolutely feminine. Um, and I think that that is something that modern audiences uh, were missing because it was kind of either or. I mean, you mm-hmm. would get, you know, you know, your badass mamas, you know, doing badass stuff. But mm-hmm. you'd get the Sarah but, Connors of the world. Yeah. But yeah. you would not get someone who also, you know, did like going shopping for shoes. Mm hmm. Like yeah. it's like that those two things can't exist. Being being girly because she wasn't just female. She was girly. Yeah. She was a girly girl. Well, especially and that, and that actually, didn't make you weak. That yeah, didn't make you weak. Come to think of it, I think looking back on the movie um, and, you know, the movie, you know, was an incredibly flawed thing. But I think that was really shown in the film. Like for her going to prom was a big effing deal. And. I still remember, like, my high school life is like, no, if you were a high schooler, in many, or odds, their odds are good that going to prom can be a big deal. Like, that's something that, you know, she'd been told to really, really look forward to. So, yes, she had to save the world, but she still had the, the wants that a quote-unquote typical high school girl would want. I, certainly not every high school girl needs to want to go to prom. Uh but at the time, that was considered, you know, for the quote-unquote cheerleader archetype, that was a big deal. And to have a superhero who also had these crucial elements of the cheerleader archetype, uh, I don't know if that had been done before. Well, yeah, I, I agree that that the the third element of that being that she also had a real interiority. Like yeah. she was the superhero, she was the archetype, and underneath she was the person who had to go. She through was it. just Buffy, yeah. Because the original premise of the show is that high school is hell, and all of the monsters that we face in high school are made manifest as real monsters on the show. That was mm-hmm. the original idea. You know, you you have sex with your boyfriend, and he becomes an asshole afterward. Well, they yeah. just took that to the next extreme. Oh yeah, good point. Um, you know, the the a pack of werewolves makes you want to want to you know your peer pressure mm-hmm. on you i mean yeah. that's that's a lot of what the a lot of the what the show was yeah um, one certainly thing in I, the first season one of the things that i enjoyed about the growth of the show that again that i had not seen on any shows that i watched um before uh the characters on the shows that i watched before i couldn't tell you how old they were like on on genre shows you know star mm-hmm. trek deep space nine Battlestar. You know, you watch char- characters grow and change, although not that much. You don't watch them change yeah. a ton. DS9, they change some, and you can see definite changes in some of them. But for the most part, the characters stay relatively the same. Mm-hmm. Um, Buffy, they allow these characters to grow and grow up and change and become... And change in very markedly different ways. Like, like all of the characters you meet, only Xander is sort of the same guy he was at the beginning. He's grown and, and matured, but he's mm-hmm. sort of the same. Buffy yeah. is entirely different. Willow is entirely different. Giles is entirely different. Angel is entirely different. Spike is entirely different. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, oh, actually, you know, I just realized, sorry, this uh, what you were talking about before about, like, you know, actual high school fears being made manifest in demonic sure. form. Uh, it is entirely possible that... Uh, the robot episode, uh, the robot demon episode in season one, which was not necessarily the best episode in the world, but I'm thinking that might have been the first like actual clear cut case of, uh, of essentially cyber stalking or cyber corruption of a you know a girl that nobody likes meeting somebody online and all she knows of them is what comes into the chat window, which nowadays is you know, has been documented as a, no, this is a, this is a danger in today's world. Um, that, that show might've been the first incident of seeing that, uh, that danger in TV. Well, the, yeah. the internet was new. Well, I think that, I, I think that, that, that is, I mean, I guess innovation is, is part of Buffy. Like it was the first show ever to use the term Googling. That's right. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it, uh, I mean, I guess so that, that all speaks to its, uh, its subversion. Um, 
who do you think in like when I look at for instance I look at Black Widow and I think there's no Black Widow Black Widow without Buffy. Mm-hmm. You know, or certainly look, she's different. Yeah. Um I look at Agents of Shield and yes, Joss started that show and and he created many of the characters, mm-hmm. but that like that doesn't really exist with, exist without Buffy. I look at you know Joss is going to be doing Batgirl coming up and I'm going, you know, the kind of Batgirl we want now is so different than the kind of Batgirl we wanted 20 years ago. We want these yeah. kinds of female characters. Mm-hmm. Um and and that is that's what makes them you know, I, I don't know that that's that's the influence of Buffy. And I, I think, think to to talk about the uh, the growth of the the female hero archetype. Uh, and again, this is uh, I will preface this by saying, you know, you know, these opinions are clearly our own, and there's a lot of other views of these. I certainly make Boy, no. Uh, in other words, we're about to mansplain the hell. Yeah, out we're of this. we're about to mansplain, but we you know we know we are men, and we are trying to explain our views of female heroines. We we know. We are flawed. Let the mansplaining begin. Um, <laughs> so, and I've seen that, and again, t- tying this back to what I experienced in FAIR, you know, in my own uh, my own artistic growth, uh, there is, I think, different levels of evolution in how you see a quote-unquote female slash female heroine. Um, the most backward and misogynistic uh, person will think, say, in a... Uh, uh, say if you were writing hypothetically, you know, say a fight scene for a human chess game, uh, like you would. Uh, the most misogynistic view would be uh, that oh, man faces a woman, man's gonna win every time because he's bigger, faster, stronger. Like that's just that that's the natural order of things. Um, the next level up from that is not consciously thinking that, uh, but it, there's an unconscious level of reverting to the default uh like your default is male um the next level up from that is the let's call it the third tier is where you're starting to realize no 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 we need to we need to be pro-feminist here we need to no, the women should fight too and that level is no man fights woman woman should always win uh which is a good motivation uh, it is meant to specifically combat the trope of men being always stronger, faster, better. Uh, but in and of itself, if left just at that level, in its own sense, uh, it can also become a little misogynistic because it actually refuses to allow the female... Uh, I mean, for a character to truly be a character, they need to have the ability to lose. Um so which is why you get way- tier four, which is which Deadpool. Is, yeah, which uh, is tier four. You've seen Deadpool, correct? Yes. There's a great um, moment in Deadpool where he's fighting a woman. He goes, is it sexist to hit you? Is it sexist <laughs> yeah, not sexist to hit you? Hit you? I don't know. Uh, so for me, and I think, and Buffy hits this next tier, which is, uh, you know, because every year there's a, you know, um, every year in the chess game at the fair, uh, you know, there's going to be multiple fights. At some point, you know, a man is going to fight a woman um, or vice versa. And so the question becomes, well, who should win at this one? And for me, the most important thing is, you know, all other things being equal. Look, the important thing is to show that they're both competent fighters, uh, that they know their shit. And once you do that, either one of them could win. Uh, and Buffy did this a ton. It showed her as being able, capable, cunning, strong, certainly a good martial artist. And sometimes she got her ass handed to her and that was okay because that didn't, uh, because that didn't shake our confidence in her inherent ability. Uh, so that's probably one of the, one of the other big ways in which, uh, Whedon has taught me to sort of look at writing from a feminist perspective, which is that, uh, you know, if you can allow, if your if your female characters are so well structured and crafted that you can allow them to not be great at stuff sometimes, uh, I think that's a big that that's like a one of the final levels of evolution. Uh, the third question is how has this not affected your life? Not necessarily in terms of. Uh, art but just life in general your outlook on it uh you know sort of a general open-ended question 
Well, I think the 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 first thing, uh, first and foremost, um, I have to admit that uh, that everyone in my house uh, that is not my wife uh, is named specifically after a Buffy character. Um, being that I have uh, I have a son named Xander, a same name Liam, specifically uh, designed to be um, named after Angel, and my cat's name is William the Bloody, but we call him Spike. Um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I think that's that's the first, you know, most <laughs> is obvious it, thing. Is, is, is it I'm, too much to say that we both hope that Liam's relationship with his father become it follows a very different path than Angel's? You know, I I hope so. Um, if he has a son and names him Connor, though, it's going to be a real problem. It's going to be um, a problem. <laughs> um, so so that is uh, th- that is the most obvious is that I am constantly yelling, Sander, <laughs> in my house. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think it also. Um, it's allowed uh, a certain kind of community, um, Joss fans in general. Are people that like I? I usually get to get along with Star Trek fans. I almost always get along with Joss fans. People who oh, get interesting. Joss enough to say that they're a fan of Joss are generally both smart and empathetic people. Because you got to be both to to dig Joss. You do. Yeah, yeah, I um, can see that. Like, if you don't have empathy, it's not going to fly with you. And if you don't kind of get what it's going for, it's not going to fly with you either. We are not um, implying that no Star Trek fans have empathy. Um, no, we're Just very logical to apply that. Yep. <laughs> uh, right. Right. Cause I would never have a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Trek off podcast.com. Um, yeah, cause that show is all about empathy. Yes. Yeah, so, well, it is. <laughs> it is. We have feelings. <laughs> Feelers. Um, the other way I guess is, um, I mean, again, that goes back into the writing. The, it, it influences the way I watch things. Um, it influences what I expect out of female characters. Um, it, uh, I've seen it influence a lot of my friends, um, you know, em- empowered women, empowered female sexuality, um, is something that Joss had characters, female characters who had sex, but they weren't salacious and they weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't sluts, nor were they having sex for power. They were having sex because they like to have sex and, and they weren't killed immediately after. Yeah. They were killed a few episodes after, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> The the um the one way I guess it's maybe uh the other way I guess you could say that it's influenced um is that when they kill a main character on a show um and you're not expecting it uh, my wife and I still say um damn it Joss when a character oh, dies yeah, and it that's affects a, us that's a, that's good we hadn't even touched on that his he really raised the bar on killing off characters yeah and it's not that he killed more characters than other shows he just did it really well it's how he killed them killed them and that he made it hurt you in such a huge way there there was not a single tasha yar death in the whedon verse um tara uh i feel like that one hurt more though it did i mean yes it did hurt more but i mean it was you know i i I, i'm on record of saying i think the tasha yar is an amazing death oh okay all right. Um, uh, well, be, there we be, will agree to disagree, but I can get that. Yeah. Well, listen. Actually, like the two episodes ago on uh, on Trek Up, we talk all about death on Star Trek. So you should listen to it. It's really good. Huh. Um, in truth, in truth, uh, like when I watch Game of Thrones, when I watch the way that that show will just suddenly um, knock someone off, mm-hmm. like I think, oh, Joss. When I watch Lost, I think, oh, Joss. When I watch any of these shows that someone's just walking around having their day and then boom, they're dead. I think Joss, because that's mm-hmm. the Joss was the first one I ever saw do that so so quickly and finally with absolutely no preamble to it. It was just mm-hmm. like walking down the street, boom, dead. Yeah, um, and that's that's something that I think that Joss I mean, and that is something to in you know because especially in TV, you know, death is frequently if done right, death is dramatic, um, but. You know, and in real life, death is always dramatic in terms of the impact that it has on the, you know, the people who were closest to they who died. Um, but what Joss really does show is just how sometimes it can come out of nowhere. And five seconds later, you're blinking and you're like, wait, what? And someone is dead. That's uh, a little that's a little morbid of a thought, but it it captures the emotional confusion of that kind of sudden moment. 
Well, I agree. And I think that there's, you know, I I heard someone say, and I don't know if it was on a show, maybe it was on a Josh show or if it was in real life because in my job I deal with death quite a bit. Um, but, uh, but I heard someone say, uh, um, oh, my grandma died. And someone else said, uh, oh, was it sudden? And the answer, answer was, well, it's always sudden. Even mm. if it takes a long time, when it happens, yeah. it's always sudden. Mm. And that, that makes sense. you know, the, I think that the suddenness of finding out about it um, is amplified by the show making it happen so suddenly um, and that it can turn the plot on a dime. I really love the way that it's handled uh, in that way. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the final thing that I would say is... Uh, and specifically with Angel, and uh, uh, I went into my little uh, my soapbox thing on this when we were discussing season two. Um, Angel is, I mean, uh, Justin, you know me. I'm a pretty optimistic guy uh, with a uh, with a pretty spiritual core. Um, you know, hope for the future, uh, hope that there is something beyond, uh, you know, this life. Um. But the question that I frequently had before Angel, which is, okay, for those who don't have that hope, what's the point? Uh, what's the purpose? And I found that uh, Angel in particular was an incredibly powerful statement on why sometimes choosing to, just choosing to quote unquote fight the good fight uh, is a reward in and of itself. Even if you, even if you specifically know that it's not going to do any good, um, I think there was actually a line somewhere in Angel that was something about how, uh, you know, most people will tell you, "Oh, that's just how the world is." Uh, heroes will say, "This is how the world should be," hmm. and uh, so that in it, so there are plenty of times in my own life, and I'm talking, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes you know, in big social activist moments, uh, you know, of which we've had no shortage of in the past few years, uh, but also even in very small, tiny ways of, uh, oh, should I submit this? Should I submit this uh, piece of writing that I've done? Or should I go to this audition? Uh, even though the odds are extremely good that I won't get it. Um, and before Angel, what I would tell myself is, well, you never know. You might get it. It was, you know... But after Angel, the thing that I tell myself is it doesn't matter if you get it or not. It's the going that's important, if that makes huh. sense. Um, yeah. So I think that's that's one way that uh, that it's really affected me. So so wrapping th- up Buffy thank you, and Angel. Wrapping up Buffy and Angel. Um, uh, what do you like better? Uh, wow, really hard to say. I'd have to say. Um, Angel is a more mature show. Buffy, I think, is closest to my heart just in terms of the where I was when I was watching it. Um, you know, it gave me more of the warm fuzzies. Uh, they are they are both good and both uh, but both distinctly so. Um, you know, if I had to um, if I had to say choose just as a comfort food sort of thing to curl up with a good episode of something. I'd probably choose something from Buffy season three or Buffy season five. Um, with Angel, I don't know if I'd ever, I'd, you know, just ever stop and say, hey, I just want to see this one episode of Angel. Like maybe one in season five, I might. Uh, but Buffy is one more that I'd be more likely to go back to and just watch uh, just for the fun of it now. How I'm gonna about go- you? That's uh, a toughie. I think I'm going to have to edge... Angel up front in front of Buffy, um, which is an unpopular position to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go a step further, sir. Um, I am going to do my best right now off the top of my head to rank the seasons. <laughs> of course you are. Of All Buffy right, we and need, Angel we, we, together. We need to, yeah, we need to uh, give some preamble to this in that, uh, you know, because we were talking about, you know, prepping for doing the totally super thing. And also uh, in reference to Dusted, which is a phenomenal Buffy podcast by Storywonk. Um, I think they have actually tried to rank 
the entirety of every episode like up against each other. It's one of the um, things that makes me really sad that Dusted is done because they they will mm-hmm. ne- we will never find out the final the final the, fi- the final tally. Yeah. So um, let me let me see if I can best uh, if I can best clarify uh, my view on the subject and Justin's view on the subject. My view on the subject is that frequently ranking things arbitrarily or ranking things becomes arbitrary because frequently it comes down to people's individual choices. But most dangerously, it provides the illusion that there is an objective way, a truly 100% objective way of measuring art, uh, which I do not, like that you can say, well, this piece of work is clearly better in an objective, measurable way than this other one. And I don't think art works that way. Um, it's the same reason why I have problems with theatrical competitions, is that... Uh, or, you know, even the Oscars, is that it's like at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to mood. Um, uh, and I could go into that whole thing. So that's my view on the subject. I think Justin's view on the subject is... But, yes, please but, explain but, but, my ra- view on the subject. <laughs> Rankings are cool. How did I do? Is that good? Did I nail <laughs> well, it? Well, I mean, I watch the Oscars. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I still watch them. Um, and I think that that yeah, intrinsically what you're saying is probably true. Um, mm-hmm. If you were to ask me my top 10 favorite movies i know some that will be in there and i know empire strikes back will be at the front of the list Mm -hmm. but if that list will change from week to week Mm -hmm. because i think i i don't keep that list memorized i think of that list new every time um and i know movies that kind of have to be on there like aliens but Mm -hmm. i i will jump around on on the order of that list and what what's you know didn't quite make the cut that week so i think that list and i should f- also point out sorry to cut you off but um like you said you watch the oscars there's a you know there's a bunch of movies that come out every year really 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 good films that would never get viewed if it weren't for the fact that they got an oscar nomination so from that perspective i certainly see the value of award shows to the industry well, and let's oh. be clear, like AFI continually releases its its list of top 100 movies ever. And the number one changes, but it's always like The Wizard of Oz or Citizen Kane or Godfather 2. And it's mm-hmm. not like one of them got better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not it's like, like somebody discussed, someone was just like, guys, did you say, did you see yeah. the end? Like, did you stay till the credits of Citizen Kane and see the tag at the end? So it was like, I know. What? There's a t- <laughs> Nick Fury was there. It didn't make any sense. It didn't make um, any sense whatsoever. Uh, but that's that's sort of my feeling. Is lists are cool and lists are fun, and and so we will probably continue to make them and rank and judge in many different ways. Well, how but, about this as a compromise, sir? Um, yeah, let's totally. We can totally do lists, but we will make a point to say uh, instead of all right, let's list the top five best episodes of Buffy or Angel or something like that, because that implies something objective. We can say, let's list our top five favorite. What is sure. your list of preferences in the season? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And I, and I, think and that's, I, that's a nice I agree with ground. that. And that's, you know, as we get into totally super, we would probably, you know, be more of a sort of scoring equality, I would imagine than it will be a, this is better. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, that's all arbitrary. What you like is what's your primary value is might be totally different than my primary value. But mm-hmm. that's why you guys are listening to hear us argue about this shit. Yeah. Um, so my totally I'm going to call it my Tuesday list because it's Tuesday. Uh, my Tuesday list of seasons because it might be different next time. OK, um, so are uh, you actually going to are you going to rank Buffy and Angel against each other or just separately? Like are you I'm going, going to, to just- list every season of both on a list from one till two, one till twelve. Ah, okay. Go ahead. So, from worst to best. Okay. Worst, I'm going to say Buffy Season 1. All right. Followed by Angel Season 4. Mm-hmm. Followed by Angel Season 1. Uh... Followed by probably mm, Buffy season four. Okay, I'm actually in complete agreement with you so far. All right, so by we're, Buffy season four gets a little harder now. Yeah, um, actually, no. But I I will I'll jump in. Just switch for me. Angel season four is probably my least favorite. Um, Buffy season one would be above that. Uh, but that's the only ch- that's the only tweak. Go ahead. Well, except that Angel Season 4 has, has Angelus and has Faith, and that's like that's so hard. Oh, because it's so got wait, some... Buffy has... 
Well, uh, Buffy Season 1 has good episodes. It really does. And it's important to recognize that it lays the groundwork for so sure. much. So, um, let's see. Let's see where I was. I, I, I have to write this down now because it's 12. <laughs> I can, my brain can't hold 12 things. <laughs> All right. So, so, Buffy Season 1, uh, Angel Season 4, Angel Season 1, Buffy Season 4. Um I'm then probably going to say uh, Buffy season seven. And I know that's unpopular because I know a lot of people list seven as their as their favorite. I think that Buffy speechifies. Really? Yeah, I, a lot you of, know what? I, I take it. it back. Buffy, Buffy season seven. I might like less than Buffy season one, even now that I think. Really? About it. Yeah. It's just well, because it's it's pretty much it's well, there's really very little monster of the week to it, with one notable exception of the jacket, which is has one of the best scenes in all of Buffy, uh, which is Principal Wood uh, just, uh, you know, working at his desk and then out in the window, you see Buffy walking up with a rocket launcher then getting died tackled by Spike all in the background. Um, the, uh, yeah, Buffy season seven, that is, Buffy season seven is the entire season where every episode I'm like, wow, you guys are trying way too hard here. Um so, uh, and, and that might have been because my expectations were so much higher. But uh, sorry, I've completely derailed you again. Continue. Um, all right. So I was uh, Angel, uh, Buffy 1, Angel 4, Angel 1, Buffy 4, Buffy 7, Angel Season 2. It's starting to find its stride. It is. Um, uh, you're starting to get all the characters in the places where they will be, but it's not quite what it's going to be. Uh, Angel Season 3. Now Angel is kind of... Uh, kind of hitting its stride, um, and the characters are what I like. You've got uh, you you've got Fred now in there. Connor's going to show up by the end of it. Um, Buffy season three. Uh, Buffy, Faith, the mayor, the end of uh, the end of Sunnydale. Um, Buffy season two. I love because Angelus was just you know. Uh, and Ange- actually, uh, no, let me change that. Buffy season. Yeah, interesting. Six. I say Buffy season three and two. You're putting below Buffy season six. Well, I'm putting Buffy to season three. So interesting about season six. Do I think the drug metaphor is heavy handed in Buffy season six? Yes, I really do. It is heavy handed. Um, But I find it captivating. Um, A lot of people don't like the Dark Willow stuff at the end. I love the Dark Willow stuff at the end. I love, uh, you know, Buffy having to deal with being a mom. I love... Um, I, I love Buffy, uh, and Dawn's relationship, um, as Buffy comes back. I love, I even love Buffy dealing with coming back. I love what happens with Spike. I once more with feeling is the best episode of either show. Um, I, uh, I love the way that it's resolved with Xander. I, I think the geek trio are really interesting because the, they're not the villain of the, of the season. Life is life yeah. is the villain. And maybe mm-hmm. because I saw Buffy, right before I had my first kid um, mm-hmm. as I was, you know, I, I was sort of able to at that point, up to that point, I was able to just kind of make it go for it. Whatever's going to do, I could just do kind of whatever I wanted. Now, like responsibility was facing me in the face. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why it hit me, but I love Buffy season six. I actually really, really like it. Oddly enough. Okay. Um, then Buffy season two, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 i'm forget then then buffy season two then buffy season five and then angel season five yeah so okay. buffy one angel four angel one buffy four buffy seven angel two angel three buffy three buffy six buffy two buffy five then angel five okay let me uh throw one more thing to that now tell me uh what is your favorite and let me finish here what is your favorite personal favorite buffy episode and angel episode but Try, but what is your favorite of the episodes that don't normally get favorited? Like one where it's just like, like a like an episode that you feel. I don't know if enough people talk about this episode, but I thought it was amazing. All right, so I can't say once more with feeling or the body because that's what everybody says. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, you can't say beer bad because I just hang up right then. If you did, but, yeah, you know, um, but but that leaves you with like ninety seven other episodes. To- sure. Uh, the Zeppo. Ooh, yeah. It's a great episode. Great episode. I okay. love the Zeppo. All just mm-hmm. about Xander being a normal guy and the apocalypse happening in the background. I yeah. love mm-hmm. the Zeppo. 
it's a great episode of television and it's yeah. so much fun. It is it is a love letter to the sidekicks everywhere. Um and for Angel, um whew, What do I what's a Angel all bleeds together is one that's why I like it, it so really much. Does, yeah. it's, it's, bleeds, it, it's like one big story. It's harder to do with Angel, yeah. Um but if I were Well, you to, can talk about an arc maybe. All right, then then the uh the arc that I like in Angel, maybe not everybody does. I really enjoy the return of Angelus in um in season 4. And I feel cool. like I think people slam season 4 for a lot of good reasons, but Angelus's presence and it really raises it for me um because because it is like it's the reason Buffy season two is so high for me is I love Angelus and he's just as good, if not better. In fact, I'm going to put that as the episode, my favorite episode of, of Angel that is or the most underrated episode of Angel. The one where uh, Angelus where he's just in the in the in, jail, in, in the jail and sort of torturing everyone. So cool. that's the one. Very cool. But my favorite but my favorite episode of Angel is probably I will remember you. Yeah, I'd say that one would be. Uh, yeah, I'd go with that one. Uh yeah, that one or Smile Time. Of course, both both of those are probably pretty popular picks, but you know. How about you reason. for uh, for for underrated? All right, um, for <laughs> underrated, I think it's not so much underrated. I just really, really loved it. Was uh, Fool for Love in season five no, uh, that's for Buffy? Very good. The episode where Buffy tries to get Spike to tell her about killing the other, uh, um, you know, killing the other Slayers and. Although uh, I you think know, you have to watch Darla, Darla along with it, just you know, because that might it's so be, cool. That might be because the again, <laughs> I that doesn't have to every, be your Angel episode. That doesn't have yeah, to be your. I thought episode. everything with the Boxer Rebellion, including the slow walk through the flames, was awesome. My wife thought it was silly. Uh, you know, I laughed when I saw it, but it was a laugh with delight, whereas my wife laughed with scorn. And I was, of course, watching it with her, waiting for her reaction. <laughs> and I was, she, even she, she was just like, "Wow, you were you were really crestfallen by my reaction to that." Um, but so that's my favorite of Buffy. Ah, uh, oh, man, uh, for Angel, like you say, it's harder to come up with any one thing in particular. Um, I'd say probably for me, it would be Epiphany. Uh, that essentially those two episodes where Angel, you know, tries to go to the home office and finds out that the home office is Earth and then has his epiphany. Oh, with Holland um, Manners. Yeah. yeah, with Holland Manners. And, yeah, uh, that's a really good one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, yeah. OK, so, so let me see. Let me let me do this ranking yeah, thing. My please. seasons in inter- my favorite seasons from worst to from least. Fa- and I should say none of these were necessarily really bad seasons of TV. I mean, the fact that Buffy season one is considered the worst is not necessarily a dig on season one so much no, as it's great. So yeah, so much it. as saying just how much the show grew from an already great starting point. Um, so I'm basing these based on just like how much I enjoyed them while watching, uh, yeah, which clear. means this is that how you feel today. That's yes. Um, all right. So worst, uh, probably Buffy season Probably Buffy, or least favorite, Buffy season six. Uh, no, sorry. Buffy season seven, least favorite. Buffy season six uh, after that. Um, sorry. Angel season four would be the lowest. So it would go Angel season four, Buffy seven, Buffy six, then Buffy one, uh, probably Angel one. Uh, and now we're getting into like the really good season so you haven't mentioned oh, Buffy wait. 4 yet yeah Buffy 4 so um, I'd probably put Buffy no I'll put Buffy 1 above Buffy 4 so so far just to, I don't have any paper with me Ugh, rankings um, so I'm going Angel 4 Buffy 7 Buffy 6 Buffy 4 Buffy 1 all right Angel 1 now we get into the good, yeah, Angel One. So you uh, have Angel, Angel Two, Angel Three, Buffy Three, Buffy Two, Buffy Five, and Angel Five left. Okay, uh, so then probably beyond that, I would go with Buffy Two. Um, nope, sorry, Angel Three, Buffy Two. Um, Angel Two. Then Buffy. Then Angel Two, Buffy Three, Buffy Five. Angel 5. I think I got him. 
So we agree pretty much on the bottom and top of our lists. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? Now that I'm ranking those in terms of how much I enjoyed them, I do find it interesting that overall I think, oh, I think I kind of prefer Buffy, even though the Angel seasons are way higher in my list frequently. And I'm the other uh, way around. I prefer Angel, but the Buffy seasons. I have Angel five, like my from best to worst. It's Angel five, Buffy five, Buffy two, Buffy six, Buffy three. Before mm-hmm. we get to Angel three, but Angel yeah. five is so strong. <laughs> yeah, and there's more Buffy. There's two more seasons of Buffy too. That's 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 you know be clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, true. So uh, if you don't mind, real quick, I'm going to talk very briefly about what you can do next uh, if you're a Buffy fan. Um, the there is a wonderful graphic novel called Angel After the Fall, um, which was put out by IDW. Um, so it's not the, an officially canon one, though. Well, it is and it isn't because the events of Angel After the Fall um, were bought. The, the license to those events were bought by Dark Horse and they've been acknowledged by Dark oh, Horse okay. as being canon in the Buffyverse. So, so, so after the fall is the Admiral Thrawn of Angel Comics. Yeah, sorta, sorta. Um, the the biggest thing about After the Fall is that more than any of the other Buffy comics that came after, when I think of a- After the Fall, when I watch the final moments of Angel, I don't feel like that's the end. You know, let's go to work. I absolutely feel like After the Fall is what happened next. Mm-hmm. Um, it absolutely makes me feel like that is the next thing. And essentially, the the idea is, uh, La gets sucked into hell. Uh, uh. Wesley is a ghost and you don't know his uh, you don't know whether or not he's working with the senior partners of the powers that be and nobody knows but they are trying to find out so nobody mentions that they have any suspicions of him um, mm-hmm. Connor gets in a really interesting relationship with the electric girl um, it's it's so much of it is good Lauren is a really interesting character it's essentially become puts Angel as like an, a post-apocalyptic you know, almost Mad Maxian, but with demons uh, yeah. type of world. It's a great. Let me great say movie. on its own, that, that story holds up. I really, really enjoy it. I mean, it practically starts with Angel on the back of the dragon that he was fighting at the end of the uh, at the end of season five. So that which, in itself is cool. Here's which the, the only thing. spoiler I'll give is that dragon. He makes friends with the dragon. That's what happens with the dragon. They make friends. Mm hmm. Anyway, um, the, the one thing that I really like or that I dislike about it is what it does to the ending of season five in that basically it says, okay, the senior partners got so pissed that they actually sent LA to hell, which, okay, that's kind of a cool thing. Certainly sets things up for a great story. However, thematically what it says, the ending to season five was, um, you know, sometimes you fight the good fight, even if you don't know it's going to make anything better. What, uh, the comic said is actually you fought the good fight and it made things a whole lot worse. And that is not necessarily inaccurate in life. Sometimes you do that. But I think that was the thing, like the thing that I needed at the end of season five was at the very least knowing, hey, in that one brief infinitesimal moment, they struck a blow for good. Not, oh, you guys screwed up even worse. If that makes well, sense. I think that 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 I mean, I think what you needed was for it to not end or rather for it to end where it did. I think you're you're willing to look at a piece of art, get to the end of it and go, that was a good piece of art. I'm ready to move on. No matter mm. how emotionally invested mm-hmm. you are, no matter if you created your own world within that world, which you did, um, mm-hmm. you're totally able to go, OK, that was good. What's next? Yeah. Um, Whereas for you, it was I mean. Those comics must have been like thirst to a man in the desert. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, the Buffy comics uh, are of varying quality. Some of them are very good. Some mm-hmm. of them are not as good. Um, uh, uh, some of the Buffy some comics the- really start to they become they're not they follow the Buffy characters, but they're not Buffy. Um, Buffy really is, Buffy has to be part of the small town. I mean, now Buffy has an army of slayers that are ranging the world, uh, you know, you know, super, you know, it, 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 and it's, it becomes almost a superpower, uh, comic, uh, a superhero. Yeah, very much. And again, not bad comics, but not Buffy. 
Now, my understanding is that they improve beyond where I I stopped reading um, eventually, probably years ago. I know they're on to like season 11 or 12 now. Mm-hmm. Um, they, of course, start what they say is season eight. I read all yeah, of season I eight. Go back and get most of season pick up nine. those trade paperbacks. And, and yeah, it's That'll a lot of fun. it's good. There's there's one character death uh, that I'm and I won't say who that uh, bothers me. Um, but mostly it doesn't feel like the same show. So whereas when I think of the end of the show, I don't think about the things that happen next. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I think about the end of Angel, I do think about After the Fall. After the Fall feels like Angel, like even yeah. though it's so much it feel, like After the Fall feels like canon. The Buffy comics feel like really interesting fanfic. Yeah, um, but mm-hmm. I can't speak beyond like season nine because I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure what happens uh, next. And maybe, and I've heard it gets very, 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 very good again. Um, the less Joss was involved, actually, the less he's involved, the better it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, which is an interesting, you know thought um uh there were other uh, joss things to check out of course the next thing that came out was dollhouse um Mm -hmm. did you watch it i did Uh, i should say i've only got about uh five minutes or so so we might have to put we might have to start off the next one with uh so we're going to talk about firefly next um and it occurs to me that with dollhouse we can probably i mean since but both we can do Dollhouse that right and, now. I, I, I think Dollhouse and Firefly both have you know fewer what? seasons I think, combined than Angel did. I'll, I'll be honest. I think we can do Dollhouse right now. I yeah, really do. Let's okay. It's, it's, touch it's, it's, on it's, it's, touch on what you like from Dollhouse. All right. Um. So you watched Dollhouse, right? I did. All right. So so the basic premise of Dollhouse is that uh, Eliza Dushku's memory gets gets wiped, and she becomes someone else every week. And usually, she's either an action person or um, a prostitute. Um, very interesting moral questions, interesting science fiction thing. But what they did is when they thought they were going to be canceled, um, they released uh, on the DVD only an extra episode of season one, which basically said, hey, this memory wiping thing uh, was applied by the government to the entire populace of the United States. And now there's a great like apocalypse that has happened because of it. And then they had all of season two that that happened before that episode and you see it lead up to that and then as you get to the end of of the season you get back to that point um i think that it's uh it's a flawed show that has two of the greatest episodes ever put on tv which episodes the 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 final episode of season one and the final episodes of season season two like it shows it shows where the show would have been in season seven of the show Mm-hmm. which I would have loved to watch it happen, but it was it was canceled, like Angel, like Firefly, by Fox, <laughs> um, and it went away. Joss, we, we will eventually, on the Totally Super podcast, talk about uh, Joss's uh, two big movies, Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron, which I think mm-hmm. do speak to Buffy. Well, um, well let's not, let us not forget Cabin in the Woods, um, which, okay, I guess that's not a big, big movie, but... Yeah, I well, I, and, and he didn't direct it, but he he wrote, he wrote it with David Greenwald. Um, all we need to really say about Cabin in the Woods is is if you're a horror fan um, or a fan of Joss and you can tolerate horror, um, absolutely see it. Absolutely I think I, re- see I read uh, Joss Whedon said that Cabin in the Woods is both a love letter and hate mail to the genre of horror. It is. It is really funny and good and surprising it's a movie about subversion um it is it is definitely for, worth a watch and for west wing fans it's joshua lyman in a horror film uh it's yeah. that in itself is awesome for angel fans it's amy acker for avengers fans it's chris hemsworth and for for uh oh Dollhouse god that's fans, right that was chris hemsworth before he became the chris hemsworth and for Dollhouse fans, there's Fran Kranz, who is my favorite actor on on uh on Dollhouse. He's amazing yeah. on Dollhouse. Um, uh, the uh the only other real thing to speak of is uh Joss wrote another movie which I haven't seen actually, and I don't remember the name of that he released like solely on Vimeo. Um, and then he did a remake of Much Ado About Nothing, which I mm-hmm. think is lovely. Yeah. That that it's as if you're a Joss completist, you absolutely should see it because it's wonderful. Well, um, we also need to talk about uh. Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. We do. Um, you know what? I because think... That is, because that is actually not just great on its own. That was also industry-changing. Okay, you um, know what? Ladies and gentlemen, you know what you guys have earned for being so nice to us? We will do next week Firefly, then Serenity, then Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. 
Yes. And by we say we doing this next week, it is entirely likely that it might become two or even three episodes. But we're going to aim for one because yes. yes. we need to start totally super at some point. You uh, know, I, that seems like maybe that maybe that should be our first episode of Totally Super. Actually, yes. All right. So there it is. Dr. Horrible. Because that because Dr. Horrible is definitively a superhero film, even though it's a sub- or Dr. Horrible is a subversion of the superhero film. Our very first episode of Totally Super. You have decided it will be. <laughs> Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. blog. Very good. Yes. Very good. Um, so, uh, so Arthur, you uh, you drove the show. You drove well, sir. Well, thank I, you I very much, sir. You're I, driving. You, you've passed your driving test. You, you, na- you, you, you gave uh, good navigation. Uh, uh, my, my, well, my pleasure. So. It, was just re- it was just Google Maps the whole time. I have to be yeah, honest. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, lead us out. So, my yeah, thank, thanks very much for listening, everybody. We are going to still rings just a little bit more out of uh, the Whedon multiverse uh, before we move on. But uh, it has been, Justin, it has been an absolute joy talking about Buffy and Angel with you. Yoo-hoo! I can't believe we got to the end of it. Woo! Right. Woo! It only took us, what, five years now? Five years. Uh, five years, which is the same length of time that Angel lasted. What? Oh! oh. Uh, and with that, I am Arthur. And my name is Justin. And we are popping off. Pop off! The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast 2017.